0: Roland, you may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know, but it's a tradition, and because of our tradition. Every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions in the comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and, of course, I will answer as many as I can. And, of course... You can check out our webpage at letstalktorah.net. That's letstalktorah.net. And you'll find the old shows there, which is what we call the archives. You'll find the latest shows up there. There's a place for you to leave comments. And, of course, the all-important donate button to make sure that we can keep um, talking Torah. And we can keep talking... And telling stories and explaining what's going on and what the Torah wants and bring it to you in a way that, that hopefully you, uh, you learn something about life, family, wife, kids, children. Kids and children, the same thing. School, whatever it takes. So again, please hit one of those donate buttons. There's different levels. You need a shout-out. We'll take care of it for you. Whatever you'd like, we are here for you. And it's right around the corner. Rosh Hashanah. High holidays, week away. And in school, by the way, you know, for teachers, it's the beginning of the year. You're trying to help all the children learn what's expected in a classroom because every class is different and and every age, right? Second grade is what they needed, but now we're in third grade. And while you're trying to teach them what's expected in the classroom, because the high holidays are coming... So there's so much extra stuff that doesn't fit in with the regular flow of a regular day. So things happen. Um, We actually, the boys have uh, parties in class. Um, If they accomplished, usually they do it in first and second grade. We allow them to continue in third grade. They have to read a a certain amount. And the boys are owed, especially the ones that worked over the summer, they're owed parties. Well, that changes the whole dynamic in a classroom, but they deserve it. So we have to work a little harder, even though it takes them out of their comfort zone. I actually spent yesterday—I probably spent a good twenty minutes—teaching um, them what's expected when we have a party, how to move their desks, how to sit, how to dance, how to, you know, just be gentle, how to be quiet. When I'm talking, how to be quiet when the boy is, uh, is uh, we're talking about him and what he accomplished, and, and we have to take pictures sometimes, and parents could be there, and grandparents could be there. A lot of teaching just in the management part. And that's going to lead us into this week's Torah portion. So what happens? The names of the portions themselves are really fascinating. They're called Nitzavim. Which is from the word "standing." Moses says to the Jewish people, "You're all standing here today, Um, even though the last few Torah portions talks about the destruction that will take place when we don't listen." Moses says, "Look, it's not so bad. You haven't been perfect over the last forty years, and you're still all standing here." And then the next week's Torah portion is how Moses goes. Vayelach Moshe. Moshe is going. He has to take care of his last few days. But it is fascinating if you think about these words. There's Nitzavim and Vayelech. It's like two ways you could be a soldier. There's the standing part of the soldier, and there's the going, the Vayelech, the going, the marching part of a soldier. And a lot of times if you think about it, we are like soldiers, right? Right? God gives our commands, um, our marching orders, if you'd like to say. Sometimes as soldiers, we need to just stand. Sometimes we need to march. And as we approach the high holidays, it's the same idea, right? Soldiers have to be prepared. There's the training and the constant training and learning how to use the weapons. And whatever part of the army you're in, you're, you're constantly practicing and being prepared. So if and when your services are needed, you're ready, right? In other words the the preparation of a soldier is that's really the goal right whatever we throw at those soldiers we expect them to know how to respond and if they get a curveball they're also expected we can't give you every single situation a teacher is no different the student by the way is no different right we have to be prepared how to react what we need to do same thing in a classroom I, the children have to be prepared. Yes, there's the the, the day-to-day, what's going on, or what's expected. But I tell my students all the time. I said, certain things you have to know how to figure out. I had a boy, I have some very um, challenging students. So I had a boy who says to me, he was singing. I mean, it's funny, but it, it's, you can't run a class that way. So I told him, He can't sing. So he says, why can't I sing? So if you're a teacher or a parent, you're thinking, whoa. Like, I mean, come on. Everybody understands why he can't sing. But here's what a teacher has to understand. So I have the class settled in. They're working on something. I bring him outside the door. And I say, you know, you asked a very good question. You asked me, why can't you sing? I would like you to think, and you tell me, why can't you sing in class? So he says, oh, because you said so. I said, that's the wrong answer. If you're only listening, if you're only going to not sing because I said so, so there's two problems. Number one, if somebody else is teaching the class, why can't you sing? I didn't say it. It's a new teacher in class. So that does work. And I said, and furthermore, I said... If the answer is, because I said you can't sing, well, but what does that have to do with calling out? What does that have to do with standing up? What does that have to do with tapping my pencil? What does that have to do with stamping my feet? And I was, I could find a thousand ways you could disturb other children, and it can't be that I have to give you instructions for every single one. So he says, and was there, so we discussed what's going on. So he said, well, you know, this boy... A lot of times I find I have to bring him to my office and give him four or five minutes to think about it, and usually he can come up with the answer. Sure enough, about 10 minutes later, he comes back to class. He says, okay, I realize that it's disturbing the class. I said, very good. All right? But you understand when we have to teach children how to be prepared for class, and that's what's happening a lot at the beginning of the school year. Obviously, this child is more challenged and." Um, I have a few of them this year, so it will be a very fascinating year, and a lot of teaching is going to go on. But that's what we are, right? The soldier has to be trained, but he has to understand to recognize each situation. But I'm intelligent enough, I hope, or I'm trained enough, or I have enough information to know what to do when something happens. I can't be given instructions for every single thing. I got to know, right? So that's what soldiers, right? So we're serving God. By learning enough Torah, I get the picture. I know what God wants from me, right? And the more studying I do, the more understanding I have of what God wants from me. The more I understand what he wants, the more I'll know how to react when when something comes my way. Which uh, leads to a fascinating story that I saw the other week. So in 1948, the IDF was formed, and all of the different uh, militias, we'll call them, were disbanded, and they wanted to draft women in the army. So even though there were religious Jews as well, and nowadays, no matter what you'll read, there are many, many religious Jews in the army, many. Um, I'm, I'm not saying there aren't rules and regulations, that some have a deferment, a lot of people have deferments, but that's not the conversation. But drafting women, as far as the religious were concerned, was off limits. That was not going to happen. Uh, you know, religious women, really any women, okay, whatever people want to think about it, should not be serving in combat. Right? The simplest understanding is um, you don't want body bags coming back with women. That's just not how the world works. I just had a town um, with one of my sons, um, even the language in the Torah about going to war—it says men go to war. That's how God set it up. Men are supposed to go to war. It doesn't mean women can't help. It doesn't mean they can't uh, be be in the back and taking care of uh, of uh, w- whether it's uh, the supply lines and other stuff. But women are not supposed to be in battle. That's not what God wanted. It doesn't matter what people want to say nowadays. Equal rights. This is not where equal rights belongs. There's differences between men and women. We've talked about it in the past, and this is not, and I'm not even looking into that part of the conversation right now, but that's not what I'm looking to discuss. But the bottom line is the Torah is very clear. Women do not belong in combat. End of story. In any case, but uh, Ben-Gurion was pressuring a person by the name of Rebbe Elio, Genikovsky, who was uh, part of the um, Knesset, and he was pressuring him to vote. For, or you would be part of the vote, but you know, it's it's interesting. If you vote, you know, these guys vote um for and these guys vote against, so no one says at the end of the day, when Congress votes to pass a law, it doesn't matter that you voted against. You were part of the vote. You lost because we go by majority, very good. But you were part of the vote, and you were... Your Congress voted either yes or no. You could stand all day long with positive. Well, I re- was really against it. It doesn't matter. You're part of the Congress that voted for it. So he wanted him to vote. So he went, this, uh, this Kanekowski went to the Chazanish. Chazanesh was the, was the Torah leader, the religious Torah leader at the time. And the Chazanish told him, leave the country in, po- in protest. as you're a non-vote. It's true, the Knesset is voting whether you're there or not. But you are showing the other Knesset members that I'm not voting. I am a non-vote. I am not part of this vote. I'm not a, you said yes, I said no, we had a conversation, and, uh, and I lost. No, no, I am not even part of the vote. A few weeks later, when he comes back, he goes to the Chazanish to tell him that he listened to the Chazanish and that uh, he just came back. And the said, because you had the wherewithal to be a non-vote, and that takes guts, right? There's a lot of political pressure. And you had the wherewithal to march with your feet, right? We're about soldiers. Sometimes you stay. Sometimes you march, right? So um, he told him, he promised him a great son, and he actually did have a very, very famous son, right? There are times where we need to act, Right? there are times where we need to be verbal. Right, there are times we just don't join. You know, nowadays we're we're so good at being non-confrontational. Um, if somebody were to do something that's that's an affront to what you believe, so nowadays most people will just sit there quietly. And I've seen rabbis that when they saw something that was about to happen and they felt it was inappropriate, they got up and left. And that was a statement because everybody, we don't want to insult people. We want to be nice to people. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. But if it's wrong, you got to take a stand. And that's something just from the names of this week's Torah portion is is something that it's beautiful and important to point out. So there's a beautiful verse in this week's Torah portion. Torah, the the verse says as follows: It says, "Ki ha hazos," because this command. Now it's not clear what the command is. We'll see. Almost everybody says the same thing. It's referring to the study of Torah. "Ki ha mitzvah hazos," because this command It's not so far away from you. And then the Torah says it's not in the heavens, and it's not on the other side of the sea. "Ki karve Lecha, it's close to you. So what does that mean? does that mean the Torah is close to you? What, what, what do we mean when we say that? So there's multiple explanations. The simplest explanation is um, you don't have to travel far. You want to learn Torah? You don't have to travel to Israel. You don't have to travel to the East Coast. You don't, you don't have to go anywhere. As a matter of fact, nowadays you could be in your house, you're listening to me, right? right? How? You just push your computer button. By exercising, you, you put on a podcast, you listen to Torah, you listen to me, listen to anybody who cares. You listen to people talking Torah all the time. You There's courses, there's studying. You walk around the corner, go to the synagogue. You don't have to, no one gets to say, oh, I can only study Torah if I go to this rabbi in this city. No such thing. The second um, thing we learn from this verse, that it's not far away, is when it comes to the decision of law, law is decided by it's really by the rabbis, of the Talmud, and then the future generations of rabbis can go ahead and ex- and look into the Talmud and figure out what law should be. Rabbi Moses, Rabbi Feinstein was famous for um, for I don't say decoding; that's just it's the wrong word. But um what do you do with, with modern science? W- w- what do you do? Can you do a heart we've talked about it in the past. What do you do with a heart transplant? Um, for you're not allowed to fire on Sabbath. How do you look at a light bulb? How do you look at an LED light bulb? Right? There's there's so much in modern stuff. How do we look at that? Um, in regards transplants. Um Harvesting organs. There's so much stuff that we need to rely on the rabbis to tell us what to do. So, the bottom line is that, that the rabbis in this world, down here, are the ones that have to decide on Torah law. It's not in heaven anymore. Now, we don't really have a way of communicating, anyways. But there's a famous story in the Talmud where you had Rebel Lazar and, and Rebbe Yeshua, and they were arguing about a certain oven. If it was pure or impure, the actual law itself is not what's, uh, what, we, what we want to talk about. But what happened was that um, they were so into their argument, Lazar, it seems Rabbi Shua had the majority. And Rabbi was fighting that he should be right anyways. And he said, if I'm right, a heavenly voice should come out and say I'm right. Sure enough, a heavenly voice comes out, the law should follow Rabbi Shua. Rabbi Shua says, I don't care. I'm not interested. not impressed. Anabla says, if I'm right, the river should flow backwards. And they look, and the river's flowing the other direction. And if I'm right, this tree should uproot itself a hundred meters away. Sure enough. Uh, it's really Amos, but I just wanted uh, to use some metric. And if I'm right, the back wall of the study hall should start to fall. And the wall starts to fall. On that, Rabishu yelled at the wall and said, don't you dare, you stay right where you are. And the law doesn't follow this Rebbelazer. Now, heaven was going ahead and saying he's right. So Yeshua says it doesn't matter what heaven says. Heaven no longer gets to decide what the law is. The Torah was given to Moses. Once it's given to Moses, we decide the law. No prophet can come along and say, well, I have had a communication with God, and he said uh, it's kosher or it's not kosher. Does't work that way. Torah is not in heaven. And then there's a third explanation. and that is from Rana Bacha.cha explains that the only wisdom a person needs is Torah. Everything's there. So I don't have much time left, but I bought a book we've been talking about it recently, um how much the rabbis in the Talmud knew things that science is only recently discovering comparatively to when the Talmud exists, right? Talmud's, uh, whatever it is, 1,500 years ago. So one of the famous things it was this, uh, the Pilates star cluster. There's like six stars that you can see. And Samuel or Shmuel in the time of the Talmud says like in one of those stars, there's really a hundred stars there. and And the world even though the world respected the Talmud, uh, this thing they couldn't handle Till the telescope was discovered. And when they had a telescope, they saw there's a hundred stars there. But he knew this without a telescope. That's unbelievable. It's amazing. Right? In other words, just, right, that's what the verse is saying. Right? The verse is saying that it's not far from you. Just go study Torah and Everything is there. Does that mean you and I can go figure out all this stuff? No. We can't find all this stuff. We can't figure it out. But they did have ways of discovering it, which is just fantastic. Um, The lightning rod. Everybody knows who made the lightning rod. Ben Franklin figured out the lightning rod with the key and the the kite and the string. Everybody knows Ben Franklin. But fascinating enough, there's a medrash. The medrash says that it talks about putting a, a piece of metal in a chicken coop. Oh, there goes the... We'll have to talk about it another time. Music is playing. I hope you guys enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all my wonderful sponsor listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have Alan in the back. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I'm Rabbit T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Toro on and Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.